0: Here's something that definitely looks great.
1: Let's reboot, finish the game, and get out of here.
0: The fantastic reboot's coming up next. Make sure you don't miss it, folks. It's mind-blowing.
2: Warning. Incoming game. Hello! This is Bloopcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Rob And I'm James But the question is Why are we the Blue
0: Bluecast? Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yes, yes, yes It's yes, rather good, isn't it? Okay, so today This is our 25th episode of Bluecast so Thank you to everyone who has stuck with us for this long But today, because it's um, a kind of milestone We are taking a look at my all-time favourite TV show The 90's CGI series, Reboot Yeah uh, there's a lot to be said about this, Joe. I'm aware there's probably a few people who are dedicated listeners of ours who probably heard me talking about reboots, but have no idea what Reboot is. So Reboot was the first full-length TV series to be produced using CGI and it ran for four seasons from 1994 to 2001. The series was primarily set inside the computer system known as Mainframe and followed the adventures of Bob a guardian from the supercomputer, alongside Dot Matrix, a local entrepreneur, and her younger brother Enzo, as they battle the computer viruses Megabyte and Hexadecimal, alongside the games inputted into the system by the user. These games drop onto random sections of the city, and those trapped inside need to reboot into a character from the game and battle the user, otherwise, that section of the city will be destroyed. And the citizens trapped inside get turned into parasitic worm-like creatures known as Nulls. And while the show started out with more light-hearted, episodic, kid-friendly episodes, um, over the course of its run it began to tell darker, more sophisticated stories with a heavier focus on continuity. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
3: the idea that Bob is combating this user, a mysterious and possibly divine entity with a tragic backstory and epic heroic characteristics, it kind of reminds me of how Satan defies God in Paradise Lost. Reboot is one of those shows that vilifies God. Not not even five minutes in! No, I'm not finished! (laughs) (laughs)
2: I'm not not taking the bait, James. I will say there's a fun bit of the intro of Reboot where he talks about um, uh, the user uh, inputs games for pleasure. Uh, nobody knows if this is true, but I'm prepared to find out. And then he never finds out. And that, that, that whole plot point is just completely dropped.
1: <laughs> they say the user lives outside the net and inputs games for pleasure. No one knows for sure, but I intend to find out.
2: Reboot! So basically, the u- the, the users are humans. They are us, but yeah, they just they never feature the entire story is set entirely in uh, the computer world as it were so it's basically yeah. tron but if the humans never came into tron and it was all just that tron world that kind of i'm just i'm explaining this to people who like literally they'll be listening in and going like what? <laughs>
3: so the, the show yeah. massively reminds me of Tempin' Bowling Strike animations in the best way, which is a good thing. So I love. <laughs> no, wait, no, I love those animations. Just get, don't get me yeah, wrong, please. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Okay, just... no, I can see it. I can
2: see it. That's what you get for being the first ever CG animated show, where you literally, you, first, you get to be in the Smithsonian as the first animated show. So well done to them. But also, yeah, you you look like a bowling animation. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah. Although, to be love... fair
0: to the show. I mean, it looks better than some shows that came after it around the same time. Like in our oh, Beatles yeah. episodes, we kind of, I meant I briefly mentioned this, but we had um, a couple years after reboots, we had this cartoon called Donkey Kong Country based on Donkey Kong. I've and seen it, that. It looks oh, absolutely atrocious, and it came out after it reboots. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well Rob, you showed me Ace Lightning was a show, and that <laughs> oh, God. was appalling. It's hard to take a stand, it's hard
1: to do what's right. No matter how scared you are, you have to stand it by.
2: Yeah, like, so that, like, Reboot, I think what works in its favour, because it's set in this computer world, they had a very good excuse for, like, yeah, like, the reason why the CG looks kind of weird
0: is because it's in the computer world. And that's exactly why they chose that setting, because, so, just as backstory for how the show came about, so, in the mid-80s, there's two animators from England called Davin Blair and Ian Pearson, and they created the first CGI music video, which is for the Dire Straits song, Money For Nothing. And after they made this video, which um, according to Gavin Blair, took three and a half weeks of hell, they recuperated in the pub. And um, while they were doing this, um, Ian said to Gavin, Hey, we could do a TV show like this. And Gavin was instantly like, Oh, what? You're crazy. this We just spent three and a half weeks making a music video and it nearly killed us. And he thought... Oh, he'll sober up and he's gonna drop the idea. Short story, he didn't. Long story, the idea snowballed for a few years. They brought in a few more people, namely Phil Mitchell, who is a, a, a university colleague of Gavin's, and their lecturer, John Grace, who had actually previously made a TV show for children called The Adventures of Portland Bill, which is a kind of like little stop motion series. And they were brought in to help develop the show. But then they realised it would have been too expensive for them to produce the show in the UK. So Gavin, Ian and Phil relocated to Vancouver, Canada to make the show due to like tax breaks for making TV shows in Canada at the time. <laughs> oh my God.
2: Sorry. Can I just... I literally, I was about to make a joke about, yeah, there's a British guys who moved to Canada for tax reasons. And then you literally just said that. I, did, I didn't think that that was going to be the reason. <laughs> So, sorry, that's very funny. I'm just,
0: yeah, okay. <laughs> As I said, the decision to set the show inside a computer was due to the primitive nature of CG at the time because, of course, um, mm. the Dire Straits music video they made was really blocky and they thought, people were like, why does it look like that? And they said, oh, it's inside a computer. And they, they did some early tests, which you can find on YouTube, and they, some, they look um, mm. kind of like... In between die straights and what we got in the finished show, so the animation mm. evolved over the years they were making the show. Yeah, wasn't yeah. that
2: wasn't there a video of like a very early prototype kind of like Enzo character with his baseball cap, but he didn't have a mouth, and they were just making jokes about like, please give me a mouth, something like that. Oh yes, where um,
0: Megabyte sounds like, what's his name, Um, Joe Pesci, and he's like, I love to rumble and hate to fumble. But it's not all fun and
1: games, you know. We have responsibilities. Like, we have to keep the mainframe safe from bad Bad data. Bad data and the forces of chaos. That's me, Megabyte. I love to rumble and I hate to fumble. This is my partner, Hacker. Together we are real bad data. Our plan is to steal a whole bunch of data, get super intelligent and take over the mainframe. Yeah, that's what they think they're gonna do, but I think it's extremely unlikely. See ya. Psst, buy this show, and they'll give me my lips back.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's like all of these. You know, you can you can clearly see that's the character they're going for, but um, the animation was so crude at the time. Yeah, no. Sorry, yeah. continue. But you see, you see the progression
3: though between those sort of test clips. Like it looks for the first one. There's like four of them. And the first one looks nothing like the current show. But then, like, as it goes on and on, eventually, like, Hack and Slash looks like Hack and Slash. Yeah. And Bob looks like Bob. And they do, like, use... A, by the fourth test animation, you can hit this up on YouTube, it does look very much like the current show. So it's like to sort of see the animators kind of, like, just go through that creative process and stuff. Um, and how they built like built themselves into it i thought it was quite nice to well, see. Well the,
2: the first episode i think that took what was it like 9 months 9, like, nine like, months
0: or something like that yeah.
2: Yeah like and it, yeah. and this was this was after years of developing the actual technology and and of course getting the show like together but yeah, yeah. like it took 9 months and then they said that like once they got the cgi and everything working they could they could crank out an episode after like a few weeks or something like that yes so the, that the is progression correct was although, amazing. yeah
0: although when they first started they ended up behind schedule really quickly where there's like four episodes left to air so i think they ended one episode hmm. with like the cause there was an episode the fourth episode which was the last episode they had at the time which was the medusa bug episode they had an original ending to that where the Medusa oh, bug yeah. came back and Megabyte froze everything. And in between that they showed these like bumpers or where Bob's going around trying to stop mm. this new Medusa bug. And that that was what they did in between new episodes. And then when they came back with new episodes, like Bob unfroze the system and then the show went back to normal.
2: Yeah, I like the Medusa bug episode because that's a good example of like an early episode of reboot where um, basically it's, it's they uh, the bad guy produces this, this Medusa effect where they're able to freeze everyone, you know, like in a, sta- in a statue, and it's a great use of like how they kind of cut corners in the animation, because obviously it's like, what's a really easy thing to animate? Everyone is frozen and they can't move, and it's all still, <laughs> and that's the main plot and, and so it was really brilliant the way that they were able to work in uh, these kinds of uh, like shortcuts for the story into the animation um to give themselves a break I guess I'm, I'm not saying you know I'm sure it was still difficult to animate but obviously like once you have everyone just not moving anymore um, that does help a little bit so know oh, it was just funny that
3: yeah, the Medusa virus episode is deeply disturbing actually, like seeing the characters being trapped into stone is like just truly,
2: uh, <laughs> a, a truly
3: apocalyptic mm. scenario. It yeah. could have ended really nastily. It's very certain-like, yeah. um, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: I think that's probably the strongest early episode of the show because I think the, sh- the show took a while to find it footing, as I'll get into later. But before we get onto that, I think... We've jumped right into this, so we should yeah. go and talk about how we discovered the
2: show. I feel like Rob is going to have to lead on this because I think he's, he's, had to, the long, he's had the longest history here. Yes, I think you because
0: I bought these two into the, this reboot madness, so it's fair to explain. Like, because it's funny, this is like my all-time favorite TV show, and my discovery of it was through pretty much complete accident. So, like all great cast stories. We begin in that magical, former bastion of the UK High streets, Woolworths. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I was about like three years old at the time, so I can't remember exactly how this went down, but I came across this micro-placer, which is in the shape of this red robot thing, and came with a green boy wearing a red baseball cap, a red and yellow dog, and these two robots, one red and one blue, and I called these robots bouncy spacemen. Because they looked like they bounced because they were all like little balls, and I, I think it was I don't remember what happened next, but yeah, we basically bought the toy, and then a few months later we were flicking through channels, and then there was a program with the two bouncy spacemen in, and um, because I recognised from the toy, I was like, oh, I want to watch the bouncy spacemen program, so we watched the rest of the episode. I remember seeing of oh, the green boy was in it with the dog, and then the green boy had a fight with this big red scary demon guy and yeah, and then we watched it again the next week and I was somewhat confused because yeah, the dog was still there but instead of the green boy we had this big buff green dude with a gun uh-huh. and I didn't really understand that they nah. were the same character <laughs>
4: hmm.
0: but no. in, in spite of this I still enjoyed it and kept watching and then around this time I started getting reboot action figures and at the time I wasn't too sure who they were because they weren't in the episodes I watched but now I knew there was this guy called Bob the, the green boy was called Enzo and there's this called Dot and the bad guys were Megabyte and hexadecimal and as well as that, the bouncy space men were called Hack and Slash, and they worked for Megabyte. And around the time my dad also bought me a VHS tape with some early episodes on, namely which were the Quick and the Fed, and the Medusa Bug. so I got to see what these characters were like. And then around yeah, February 1998, so it would have been four, the show started airing on the TV again, and we started videotaping it. And these were, I think they are mostly repeats of episodes that had already been aired. But this was the moment where I first experienced like continuity between episodes because I was used to a lot of Jerry Hansen shows where it was like each episode was its own story with no real continuity between the two So this was my first kind of thing Ah, this is why Bob's not in it anymore, for example But I didn't get to see the end of the show at the time, sadly because ITV stopped showing it mid-season and never aired the West which I'm sure we'll get back to later so put a pin in that but every now and then, I watched the videotape I taped off the TV. I'd like go back to it, and every time I watched it, I'd get obsessed and wonder what happened to the show and where it went. Yeah. And I remember when I first got broadband internet when I was about nine years old, which is around I think 2002, 2003. I found this reboot website which had QuickTime videos of the opening credit sequences for the third season and they had clips from episodes I hadn't seen which my ima- had my imagination just going wild like oh what's going to happen here or Matrix is he going to fight Megabyte and all that kind of stuff but my full-blown obsession I think started when I was about 13 when I watched the video again and I think while I enjoyed the show I was appreciating it now more because it was more quote unquote grown up than a lot of the other shows that I'd grown up with and that was something I latched on to um then they discovered this site called YouTube, which was quite new at the time. this' around two thousand and six. and um, someone had uploaded the entire show, and this is pure two thousand six two thousand seven. I watched them on my Nintendo Wii browser <laughs> by zo- and on my TV Amazing. zooming yeah. in as far as I could. <laughs> and That's this was wild. like pretty good wow. pretty good timing because um a few months after I'd seen like the rest of the show. I heard whispers online that they were making a reboot film trilogy and I was like, really, they're they're doing that? That's really cool. Uh, Never happened, but at the time it was really exciting and I eventually discovered this web forum dedicated to reboot and I was really excited that people were, because growing up I was pretty much the only person who knew this show. I was like, finally, I'm not the only person who obsesses over this show. So I signed up to this forum and I started contributing conversations on it and so i wanted to shout out the java hut forums sadly no longer active but that it made my teenage years a little more bearable and i think another big wow. thing is in my second year of uni one of the units that was available in my course was 3d animation and because of my love of reboot i signed up for that and boy 3d animation was hard <laughs> <laughs> but But yeah, just to close off, over the years, Reboot has always been, like, a really important show to me. And it's one I always go back to regularly. Like, even if I'm just watching one episode for comfort viewing, binging, like, the whole of the third season, or just watching the whole series. Uh, But in 2019, I had this mad idea to do a blog reviewing every episode of the show. So every week, I'd watch an episode, then write a blog post talking about my thoughts on it. And, like, there's some things, if I did it again, I wouldn't do, like... For some reason, I thought I had to put lengthy episode synopsis in my blog posts because I thought, oh, people who haven't seen the show are going to read these and they'll read these posts and watch the show. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't do that again. But yeah, I'm really proud of the blog aside from that. And yeah, you can still find it at lostinthenet94.blogspot.com. So long story short, I bought a toy in a whim when I was three years old, summed across the TV show a few months later, and I've been a fan ever since. And I think I honestly could have gotten away with writing my notes for this without re-watching the show, but I'm not going to pass an excuse to rewatch reboots. Oh, that's hmm. great.
2: Your blog is an excellent example of how the internet has kept this show alive, um, ironically, considering that it's set in the internet and in computers. <laughs> Uh, well, not ironically, but yeah. Um, no, it's it's cool, and I did read your blog, Rob. It was what kind of got me interested in in reboot because I think you'd always talked about it, and you always brought it up at really odd points in conversation, and I had I would have no idea what you were talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'll it'll be like me referencing Fallout to people. They just look at you and they just think, "What are you talking about?" You're like, "Oh yeah, Bob did this in an in a TV show," and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, but no, I, I was always intrigued because you always talked about it, and then you you did your blog, and I and I checked that out, and I thought, oh okay, so it is like a proper, you know, like a you know proper show, and it looked really cool because I'm you know, I I don't care how a show looks, you know, I I got that it's it looks pretty dated by today's standards, but like it still it had a style to it, which has held up really well, and. Um, yeah, so I know I I was intrigued, and then Rob. So I this was probably when I was about like, yeah, I don't know, twenty. I was in my twenties at least at this point. I probably had just finished uni, um, but then I, I I went over and I hung out with Rob at, at his place, and uh, we did a, a reboot marathon uh i did we didn't watch all the episodes but we watched all the ones that rob thought were relevant so we kind of skipped over a lot of a lot of the kind of the early filler as you mentioned rob like a lot of the early episodes it, they weren't quite sure what they were doing so it was kind of very saturday morning cartoon show uh, like format they beat the bad guy every week sort of thing and that, but then as the show went goes on we get on to seasons three and four it's like oh wow there's a Overarching story and there's themes and the characters change and you know there's all this stuff going on and it's a really fun, really clever show. What I think I like about it and what I liked about because this is mainframe entertainment. The guys who did this, they're the ones who did Beast Wars, right? As well, I'm making yeah, just that's Yeah, you're right, you're so, right, you're right so so, right. so, so, so Beasties, famously. And uh, <laughs> when when uh, the the when I when I was when I was watching the show for this in preparation. I was apparently watching a rip of like whatever the original screening of it was in Canada, because the thing kept coming up saying uh, "Next up, Beasties," Uh, so you can you can tell when it was on, you know. And uh, um, anyway, so Beast Wars. What I like about that show, and what I like about this show, and what I like about Mainframe in general is that they they respected their audience's intelligence and. The stories and the and the shows were a lot stronger for that because they actually did allow for. I know the censors tried to stop this, but the, the the stories actually did have a lot of weight to them. There was a lot of character, and you know, then and it went into quite dark places sometimes. But ultimately, it's still all kid friendly. You know, it, it's it's kid friendly in the same in the same way that like Star Wars is kid friendly. You know, it's like oh, it's and um, Avatar scary. as well yeah 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 a little scary a little you know there's some scary stuff and some nasty stuff whatever but ultimately it's like you're watching it and you're going oh yeah no this is this is cute i can watch this with my kids i was i was listening to a thing with the creator or one of the creators gavin blair and he was saying yeah like he, he would have letters from families you know like the parents and the and the kids yeah yeah we all watch him we love this show you know we love watching it together and you know is that perfect kind of mix where it's like there's enough stuff in it for adults like us to watch it and be interested and obviously kids just go nuts because they love the (laughs) look of it and and all of the style and everything like that so yeah but that's my you know it's all very recent for me compared to rob i i never really came across it uh as a kid i guess because i i was growing up a little too late at that point because it was 1994 to 2001 so mm. i would have been like six when it ended so you know it's, uh, um not, and not also an it
0: has not it, it has not been seen on uk tv since 1998 so yeah that's yeah, probably why so, you never so, came so across no, it
2: i i i would no i would have been three years old there was no way in hell that i would have ever seen it so um no i'm very happy like i said it's amazing that the internet has kept this show alive all this time and and uh, there's a lot of love for it, and, and I think it's, it's well-deserved love. Hmm. So anyway, uh, James.
3: Yeah, so it's an interesting thing, because um, I think, to be honest, uh, coming to be introduced to Reboot was kind of in the early stages of my friendship with Rob. Um, at this point, I don't know what I was watching at the time. I think I was watching a cartoon show of sorts, and I had finished the cartoon show. I, think, I want to say it was possibly Avatar, actually, or Legend of Korra. Um, and I posted somewhere on Twitter or something like, oh, i finish Cora. And then Rob would be like, oh, when you start reboot, wink, wink. Um, so uh, there would be often, like, <laughs> I remember, to be fair, there was a time when uh, when I was first getting to know Rob, where, like, uh, just quite regularly, Rob would be like, so James, you reboot, reboot, you going to give it a go?
0: Yeah? Um, but I did give it a go. Don't just remember, but early on in lockdown we all did a viewing some episodes together i showed you think the end of season two and you were like oh i like this but i have no idea what's going on yeah no that sounds
3: pretty much right actually but to be fair when i did watch it and when i watched it again uh by myself as well i recognized that i've actually seen this before and i swear to god this is the same thing there's a possibility of tangent of error here but um when i was really young at the library I used to be able to borrow VHS tapes and this is where I borrowed the Red Wall movie uh, Where it was basically the first few Red Wall cartoon episodes slapped together And a bunch of other cartoons, it was like a Lego cartoon I picked up from there at one point But there was this animation, a 3D animation on VHS And I swear to god it is the episode in series 1 um, Reboot Where they're basically doing the racing episode Cause when I watched that again, you know when you kind of like feel like it's unlocking a memory in the back of your mind, like, oh, I do like Oh yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I saw that episode and thought, hold on. I have seen this before, but obviously as a kid, I just had no. again, like I, I did then when I was watching you guys, I had no idea what was going on. And as a kid, it kind of just was too, it was too intelligent for my little brain at the time. Um, but then obviously I sat myself down upon Rob's recommendation. I watched the whole thing. And every single episode from series one, up until series four and i loved it i thought it was amazing i thought that you know i'm a big fan of the i mean i know i made a joke about 10 pin bowling cartoons and stuff like that, but genuinely i kind of mean that in a way that's kind of in the sense that it's kind of endearing in a way because i do love those old mm. classic animations they get in ps1 cut scenes i've mentioned before i love the odd world cut scenes um and you know i kind of like that kind of jittery side of the animation i don't I, maybe jittery is not the right the right word for it but um, yeah, I've watched it a second time now. I've watched the show twice now, actually, uh, from beginning to end, and both times I've really enjoyed it. I probably enjoyed it more the second time I watched it, actually, because I started picking out little bits that uh, I thought were quite neat and uh, interesting to talk about. But yeah, it's. I know I realise there's probably not as much to be said as uh, with your guys' stories, but uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was a really good show. I'm glad Rob introduced me to it. I, I think there. I have a few notes that I've written down for this, but. I think because this is mostly Rob's show, I'm going to probably not talk as much. I'm going to be bouncing more on his ideas because I think he's got more interesting things to say and there's a good chance that a lot of things I've written down will be things that he's got uh, written down as well. So yeah, end it on that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I want to go on to season one now because I think especially Mm. kind of for newcomers, season one is kind of a rough place to start because I think while the CGI Mm. gets better... As it goes on And it holds up Better than some Other shows from Around the same time Like Ewan says Ate the lightning Which came out Like nearly 10 years After reboots did Like the lighting In season oh, 1 wow, particularly, Is really, really oh, harsh God. But yeah the, um, Yeah There's a lot we'll
2: of what, Kind of very limited Kind of style Of storytelling Yeah
0: Yeah that, that That's the thing The stories are are Very simplistic And not as engaged But season 1 Is really charming And the characters Are great And it's got a great Sense of humour But there's a reason why the show wasn't as great as it gets later on. So when they started out, as they were busy trying to get the episodes completed and come to grips with making the show, the showrunners were outsourcing the scripts to writers in LA who came from a traditional animation background. So Gavin, Ian and Phil, who were the three main showrunners, had to jump through all these hoops just to talk to the writers to give notes on the scripts. And then the culmination of this was when they received a 52-page script for the episode that ended up as wizards, warriors, and a word from our sponsor, which is one where they're going through all the dungeon and all the levels. What? A
1: thief? I'm not the warrior? <laughs> I'm always the warrior. Well, if you're not the warrior, then who is? Da-da-da-da! Mike, the mighty warrior.
0: And like the script had these things that were impossible to do in CG at the time Such as like wrapping vines And it was very exposition heavy Imagine things like battle carrots And these things were not even in the script So they thought, okay, we're not going to send the script away for more rewrites We're just going to take the bits of the script that we like Take lines from other episodes And then they introduce this feature That was present in the finished episode Of the gauntlets going like Level 2, level 10 just so they could like easily cut between all the bits they liked in the script, and so they could do these quick paced action beats without showing how they got in and out the level. The end result of this episode really impressed Jenny Trias, who was the head of ABC at the time. And I think the episode even won some kind of award. And because she liked this episode so much, because it was an amazing episode that had pretty much nothing to do with the script, she said, Please, this is the guys in Canada when it comes to the scripts. And this was the point when they realised that making a show in CGI was closer to live action than traditional cell animation, so they started approaching the scripts as if they were doing live action. So I think that's why, from the end of Season 1, the story started getting a little bit better, because they were, the scripts were a bit tighter, and there was a bigger focus on action, which made the stories a bit more watchable and engaging. Yeah, But they still had to deal with the broadcast standards. Oh,
2: dear. Yeah, uh, yeah. no, I was reading about this, and the way that there was a lot of very bizarre censorship things that came in like one of them was that so there's the two characters there's dot and enzo and they're brother and sister so dot's kind of i don't know presumably like 10 or 15 years older than enzo but you know so he's like the kid brother she's the adult sister and there was one point when there was like uh dot gives enzo a sisterly kiss like a normal kiss <laughs> and the set the censors, on his birthday yeah on his birthday and the censors said that this was too sexualized and it would encourage incest. Uh... <laughs> Seriously? I didn't know that.
0: What the- I think the most ridiculous was probably, um... This is a- bear in mind this is a Canadian show. They couldn't include a game of hockey. Not what? because hockey's violent, yeah. Yeah, that's but because one. they weren't... Because they weren't allowed to use the phrase Hockey Puck. Because apparently, Hockey Puck is a slang term Meaning a mixture of feces and semen.
2: I I, I don't uh, what. <laughs> <laughs> I this don't is a what? made up thing. That censors made up and just decided that yeah, it was a real thing. Yeah, honestly, I, there's a lot yeah, of things. Yeah, it wasn't. Up was.
0: a, so basically, yeah, um, this wasn't. I think this was just ABC's censorship. So BSMP in America, and they had this very long list of things that they weren't allowed to do. So like they couldn't have guns or sharp weapons. Episodes couldn't end on massive cliffhangers, they couldn't have characters jumping through windows because a kid might watch Reboot and decide, Ooh, Bob jumped through a window, that looks fun! And then jump through a window uh, himself. Yeah. And also I think yeah, Dots, yeah. like the main female character, wasn't allowed to have two breasts. So they had to kind of conjoin them together <laughs> to make what they referred to as a mono breast. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
3: I'm sorry, yeah. I know we've been quoting the Sonic fan-dub thing, but there's a Polygon breast joke in that thing, and I just that just came <laughs> into my brain as soon as you said
2: that. You know Rouge the but, Bat also had her breasts censored at one point as well, right? Oh, okay, but <laughs> that's like a I think the thing. thing with the, yeah.
0: the censorship is they did not take this lying down, and they included several jokes at the expense of BSNP in the show... And the most notable of these mm-hmm. was the entire episode poking fun at their broadcast standards representative, who was in this episode and as a binome. Who's, the, the binomes in the show are basically like um, little cubes or spheres that represent the ones and zeros. And yet she yeah, was basically yeah. rejecting all the acts for Enzo's birthday party, and that was their way of mm. taking the, the piss out of the broadcast standards by saying, no, you can't do this. <laughs> this guy's the one. Uh, yeah,
1: hmm? Really, Ms. Matrix, there's going to be children in the audience. I'm afraid I can't approve of this one.
4: Next.
0: And they also had a parody of the Village People's YMCA called BSMP, which had the lyrics, It's fun to play in the non-violent way.
1: Because we're living with BS-
2: I did notice a little, uh, some little nods to, to censorship in that episode. That was a lot of fun, uh, but like, yeah, you can really tell. Like, once they escaped from the censors, which I think they did. Which one was it? Was it season? Would have been season three, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, I think, yeah. It,
0: at, it, it was, was halfway fun. through season two when they escaped from the censors because basically yeah, what happened was, that, yeah, that ABC got ABC got purchased by Disney, and basically Disney okay. cancelled like any shows that wasn't being produced in-house at ABCs and Reboot was one of them. Apparently, I don't know how true this is, but apparently Disney, they were kind of not unhappy that some Canadians had produced the first CGI TV series and they hadn't so they cancelled Reboot out of spite and because the creators of Reboot knew they were getting cancelled they just basically threw practically all the notes from broadcast standards out the window and just did what they wanted for, like, the end of Season 2. That's classic.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's, um... That's what I love, is that there's some really iconic stuff that happens in at the end of Season 2. And that's what I mean about, like, this series treats its audience with respect. Like, there's a real feeling of, like... Of just like of dramatic weight to what happens from kind of like Mm. like literally that yeah probably from halfway through season two onwards like there's a certain point and it's the most innocuous moment and I think like we we know what I'm talking about here is when Hexadecimal is one of the villains she's great I love her I would marry her (laughs) but Hexadecimal uh, she's looking in a mirror. And she's doing her usual like crazy lady oh i'm looking in my mirror and you know like what crazy evil things will i do today and then something smashes through the mirror and you think okay this is going to be another normal shenanigans episode with hexadecimal she's caused some horrible thing to escape from her mirror but it'll all be resolved by the end of that episode and it Mm. isn't it then keeps going and the whole plot keeps going from that point on it's literally just this midway point in season 2 that this happens and it, it you do just get the sense of oh okay like th- there's a story now you know it's not just kind of like hmm. fun fun little vignette episodes where like oh here's bob in the uh he's in a race car game and oh oh look they're in a parody of dungeons and dragons you know it's like all of these different little video game kinda of centred things that they were doing like for for each episode. But then after that that kinda of took a backseat and it became more and more about the world and what was going on in it and, and what the backstories were of all the characters. Because they, they all get developed, yeah.
0: Yeah, that definitely started in season two because I think that's when the show like playing with continuity between episodes. Like it starts off subtly because like in the first episode of season two, Mega White refers to Hexadecimal as family. And there's mm. like mentions mm. here and there of something called a web, and I think like particularly there's three episodes which are Bad Bob, Painted Windows, and Andrea, which are basically based around like shuffling characters around, putting things in place, like in Painted Windows, um, mm. Mike the TV ends up with Hexadecimal, which of course sets yes. sets in motion the yeah. events that come later, and we also I get introduced to that... a new character who's Andrea, who's who's basically um, two functions. She's friends for Enzo. And because she's a fish out of water, because she's a character who came from a game. Yeah. And she's an audience surrogate character. And also, we also get a big bombshell in that episode where we find out that Dot and Ninzo's dad basically killed everyone before the show started.
1: And He hasn't got any friends because there aren't many small sprites left in mainframe since the Twin City was destroyed. Oh, I'm sorry, Dot. I didn't mean to. No, I'm okay. It's just the talk of the other city reminds me of my father. It wasn't his fault, Doc. The experiment just got out of control. I know, I know. I just wish he were here now. I miss him. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> I would argue that, you know, I mean, we said that, like, you know, they threw out all the rules, as it were, like partway through series two, and they subtly kind of built it up, the more kind of dark and serious storytelling in series two. But I'd argue it's the end of series one where it really shows. Oh, yes. So I, final, I know what you mean. with Yeah. Like the final episode where basically there's that what-if scenario where basically you know first of all we see the value of Dot as a character Mm. because she's questioning her doubt like sorry questioning her value as a character and stuff like that but you know I've enjoyed this idea that one individual in fiction can have a huge sway on reality without them even realizing it there's a good novel I recommend called Matt Hague's Midnight Library which basically explores this kind of neat sci-fi concept of what if if you did this choice and this choice this is how the world would end up and Mm. this person will suffer as a result of it and this. Basically, in this Watch if scenario, uh, the whole of mainframe is thrown into a dystopia, um, yeah, and it's yeah. just—it's—it's it's mm. frightening. It's everyone's got like barcodes on their heads and stuff yeah. like that. Yes, um, it, and it's—it's it's like. Uh, d- uh, well, it, it's, think...
2: the, it's the world that Megabyte, the villain, would would cause presumably, or you know. Yeah, and he does. He yeah. does later on. Well, this yeah. is the thing we'll get to later. What, what I find, what I find. What I find funny is that you you guys saying like oh what if like this had happened instead I'm like well it doesn't matter because me- Megabyte does take over for a bit. Well you know? yeah but but
3: yeah. but there's differences because uh, first of all Bob's not nonified.
0: Um, mm, that's they? true. And
3: yeah. in this reality that's he's true. he's he's a worm and it's done it's yeah. over.
0: Well, one thing I would say because you brought up that episode,
3: yeah.
0: that was the first episode which featured Feathers McGraw from Morris and Gromit. But that was the only episode he was supposed to appear in because basically the scene he appears in was a homage to The Wrong Trousers. But what would happen was the animators would be like building their scenes and they'd be going through all the models in the archive. They'd find this penguin and they'd think, oh, I'm going to put the penguin in the background of my scene. And then the director would see it, oh, that's funny, let's leave it in. And then Gavin and Ian would see the finished episodes and be like, what's the penguin doing in the episode? And they'd get yeah, really annoyed yeah. because they were worried that Aardman were going to get pissed off with them, saying, you yeah. are using our characters, please stop using our characters. And I think after I think the mm. like, fourth time or something he appeared, I think Ian, I'm, I've tried to avoid swearing, but Ian, I think he shouted something like, I want the f***ing Delet- Penguin deleted. And then the Penguin <laughs> was deleted from the archives and never seen again.
3: We all know that fevers McGraw is the real villain of this show.
2: Um, it's true. Yeah. It is true.
3: It's but uh, one, one thing I do like is that when he does appear in the last episode of series one, the same the same sort of music that is played in Moist and it like his little kind of evil theme tune. Like a re- it's kind of like a sort mm. of slightly altered version, so they can avoid a copyright. But it
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> does play out. Um, so I thought oh, there's a
0: cool. lot of that in the music because there's an episode where there's a whole homage to the Thunderbirds, and there's kind of the music pace is kind of like yeah. similar to the Thunderbirds theme, but um, not to the extent that they're going to get sued. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a very of... it's a very playful score. I really like what they do with the music. Um, like mm. they, like you've got hexadecimals like little motif that plays. Oh like, yeah, few, it's so creepy. Yeah, there's like all of these ni- like great little touches where you go, okay, this is this is about to happen. Mm. I love that the pirates theme. There's like a pi- like a, a binome yes. pirate ship yeah. appears. Um, the crimson was it the crimson binome? Uh, the crimson binome. Binom. Yes. Yeah. 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 What's and, uh, what's their deal? It's, it's, I was, they're oh, just sorry, they're Andy. just they're just pirates sailing around the world, but, but they got but, they got a fun no, 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 little wait. theme tune. Yeah, they do, but but they're like
3: into the dimensional pirates though. Almost, they're going through across the webs, like selling like.
2: Well, they're, like... they're they're looting and plundering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's but... how
0: they started. Then they go into legitimate business with dots. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but like,
3: oh, what does he say? Oh yeah, he says. SHIVER ME TEMPLATES! And literally, every time I'm drawing one of my thumbnails, I start saying that.
2: The, the Crimson Binome is a fun uh, moment where, uh, I won't say what happens, but they, they're like one of those throwaway episodes in one of the early seasons that then actually then becomes a big deal in the later seasons, which is really fun. So there's little touches like that, which is great. As you said, Rob, there's a lot
0: going on like that. Yeah, I think before we kind of go into like kind of more of the story, I think we need to talk about some of the characters because we're kind of throwing out character names, but not really talking about these characters, but I think I want to talk about, like, I've got three or four favourite characters, which just shows how much I love this show, but like, (laughs) I say, they're they're mostly the main characters, but yeah, Bob is like, he's the main character, but what's great about him is he's not your typical stoic hero you typically get in these kind of shows, he's like, Goofy and unprepared, which makes sense because later when we find out yeah. he came to the mainframe as a cadet, so he's out of his element and a bit over his head. Mm. And he's like goofy yeah. and like he, he doesn't take things too seriously. But when things are needed, when the situation requires it, he get he's able to get serious. And he has a no kill rule, which is different from other guardians who wish to kill viruses on sight. Mm. It's something that's not really explored until yeah. later on, and it's touched upon, but sadly yes. not explored fully. He's a bit like so yeah
2: so so with the what 's interesting with the kind of the guardians is that they're basically anti like every character is kind of like some kind of program like they mentioned that dot is, is command.com. command dot com you know so that could have fit that could, an idea that they're all they all have some kind of programming in them and and guardians are kind of like antiviral software, and then you have megabyte and hexadecimal who are viruses, and their whole purpose is to corrupt and and, you know, ruin everything. Ruin your computer, as it were. Um, but then you have these guardians, who are the, you know, the antiviral kind of programs who, who jump in and, and yeah, as, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Rob, like, you know, he's he's supposed to delete the, uh, the viruses when he can, but he has this kind of code of ethics about, like, I'm gonna change it. But what I like about Bob, as you said, he's kind of out of his depth and he doesn't know what he's doing. But what I find really fun is that you've got the little kid character, Enzo, who obviously sees Bob as a hero and, like, the coolest guy ever. So he doesn't quite realise that Bob literally has no idea what he's doing. And so I think that's really cute, that, like, everything we kind of see is from the audience perspective, who's like a, you know, like a ten-year-old boy. Um, And I just think that's a really clever idea, because then later on in the season, as you mentioned, Rob, you know... we we see Enzo's kind of perspective on Bob change a bit as he kind of starts to realise that Bob doesn't really know what he's doing most of the time.
0: Yeah, so Enzo, at the start, he's basically just a surrogate kid character for the target audience to relate to. I think the showrunners didn't even want to include him, but the show's producer were like, you've got to have a kid in the show for the audience to relate to. And they even even said, you've got to have a little Enzo running around, and that's where that name came from. And like, I think at the end of season two, he ends up becoming a guardian. Enzo Matrix, there is a huge responsibility in taking the guardian
1: badge of office. Do you accept? Yes, sir. By the power vested in me, I give you a field commission as guardian. First level. No, Enzo. You've really earned this. You'll be transferred to the supercomputer to attend the academy and become a full-fledged guardian like me. I know you'll make me proud. Bob, we're at the tour. Megabyte, Mouse, Hexadecimal, and I are ready to go. I can't believe I just said that. Okay, let's do it. Guardian
0: Enzo? Yes, sir? This is it. Should anything happen to me, I am charging you with defense of this system. And in season three, he ends up becoming the most developed character in the entire show, which we get into later. Like, like I said earlier when I was talking about my discovery of the show, he ages up like Hop, like Pop into season three. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. There's a whole, like, we don't want to go into it too much, but there's a whole story going on there where, like, like I said, he, he grows up he kind of realizes that a lot of the kind of the Saturday morning kids cartoon stuff was very much the world that Bob was in his element in but when more serious stuff starts happening you know where it is like okay the no kill rule that needs to be out the window because we're dealing with serious threats now and Bob just doesn't quite know how to deal with that whereas Enzo does because he's he's kind of got used to this kind of more uh, Mm. you know kind of dangerous world that the, the story kind of gets into you know it's like it's like when you see port like my, yeah. my two favorite characters are hack and slash and hack and slash are the bumbling laurel and Hardy's of the <laughs> reboot world where they're kind of constantly like bickering with each other they're like an old married couple you know they're like and they're the oh, ma- yes. they're, they're, but they're the two henchmen of the villain of, of, of megabyte but they're clearly oh, yes, Saturday megabyte. morning car- cartoon but they're the Saturday morning cartoon villains, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we're these doofy characters. Whoa, we're goofy and silly. And, you know, no. we're like, oh, we're always making mistakes. Oh, you know, and and it's like, but then you put these two lovable kind of villain characters in these horrific storylines in seasons three and four. And you just want to grab them and hug the two because they're
0: oh, like, oh yeah, like, that's, that's like, really sad, Their best you know? moment was um, in um, season three where the big white makes them execute this guy. And Sash is, is like, no, we need to do this. And Sash is like, no, we can't do this. It's bad. And in the end, Sash is like, I miss Bob because whenever we try to do something really bad, Bob always stopped us. But now Bob's not around, so so no one's here yeah. to stop
1: us. And not do this. It is bad. What do you think you're doing? I am saving the little fellow from what to me looks like certain death. Yeah, that's right. And we're supposed to be that certain death. Go, little fellow. Run, be free. Now you've done it. Megabyte's gonna be mad. Oh, what's new? I miss Bob. What? Crazy. Bob always stopped us before we could do anything really bad. Though, well, nobody does.
3: They're a bit like yeah, the badniks yeah. from uh, a Sonic
0: game. They just kinda yeah. is
3: incompetently lovable fools,
0: um, which is yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Also I want to talk about Dot because I think Dot is a representative of I think all the female characters in the show where they're all fantastic, but I think Dot they could easily could have made her the damsel character that Bob has to rescue every episode, but they didn't go that route. Mm. Like Dot is Bob's equal, she's just as capable as Bob is, and sometimes she's even the one to save today instead of Bob. And I make the argument that the well, show... Well, she, like I said, be... she's
2: she's the one who actually like knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah.
0: and um, I'd argue that the show would be just as good if Dot was the main character instead of Bob. Like in, By season three, she's in charge of mainframe's defence and is the commander of the system. And like James said earlier, she's capable, but she's quick to blame herself when things go wrong. She get, can get wrapped up in her guilt somewhat. Hmm.
2: Mm. Well, I liked... There was a comment... I watched the behind-the-scenes, the kind of the making-of reboot. And it was a really interesting comment, one of the people... Because they were asking them, like, oh, you know, like, the developers, who's your favourite character? And one of them said, oh, Dot, you know, she's kind of like... Uh, she's like the, the a woman of the eight, of Oh, sorry, woman of the 90s, I think they said. And that was really interesting, because she has that hairstyle, like, in a 90s hairstyle that women wore. And it was that kind of idea of this woman who's, You know, she's having to she's having to look after her kid brother, she's also having to, like, you know, have a job at her diner, and then she's also eventually, you know, like, fighting bad guys and, and fighting, you know, and there's all of these things that women, you know, I suppose they're still expected of it now, but, like, definitely in the 90s there was this kind of new idea of the, the every woman. It was like, oh, you've, you know, the woman who has it all, I guess is what I'm saying, and, and yeah. Dot is kind of, like, the perfect um personification of that which is quite cool to see like a you know in, in a mm. in a kids yeah. Like, yeah cg cartoon you don't really see that but yeah no it's great yeah
0: because there's also, also like mouse who comes in later on who's kind of like a shady mercenary kind of character but with a heart of gold and like she's really yeah. cool she's a she has a katana and everything and she, she's kind of a,
3: mouse is not She's not actually a mouse, just saying that, yeah. above
0: all but there. Yeah, but she, um, I think she's, called, she's kind of our first introduction to the kind of like the kind of slightly shady side of the reboot world when she first introduced. There's also Andrea comes on later on and she's basically Enzo's equal in the same way that Dot's Bob's equal. And of course there's Hexadecimal, the Queen of Chaos, who our dog is more powerful than Megabyte. And if she wanted to, she could yeah. have control over mainframe. But she doesn't want that, she just well, wants to cause random chaos. Yeah. Well mm. that's what
2: I like about Hexadecimal is that she's just a big kid and she like you know, even, even when she's at her most evil, there's always this sense of her like just she's just doing it for fun and she's just enjoying it. And um it's like with the Medusa episode I mentioned, that was Hexadecimal who like froze everyone and there's a certain point at the very end when she realises she's literally frozen the whole world and she's like oh no this is boring <laughs> she just like reverses it instantly uh, she's like no uh, you know <laughs> can i be honest oh, and that's, and that's her, her whole uh, her
0: best dude. episode her best episode was when she basically hacks into mainframe's paint program and just paints the whole city yeah MS paint. it's basically oh, doing yeah. what megabyte that's wants to amazing. do a few episodes beforehand then recreate the, ser- the whole city in her image But she's not doing it because she wants to control, she just wants to have fun. She's doing a grand gesture of um, expressing herself. Picture, if you will, an
2: artist of great talent, unappreciated by those around her,
1: unnoticed by the critics. What would this artist have to do? What kind of masterpiece would she have to create to
2: get recognition from those around her? Yeah, yeah, but that's my favourite he- episode. I think
3: that episode. First of all, hexadecimal is. I know you guys say you love her and all that, but she's genuinely scary. I, I, back, I think. <laughs> she's before, very scary. Yeah, yeah. She's no, she very is. scary. Like her three D animation. Is. Do you know the doll out of Five Nights at Freddy's? Um, <laughs> like, whether that's at Freddy's two, I think it is. Oh, she the the remi- Mar-
2: the, the Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah
3: the, that one. Yeah. Um, mm. she kind of reminds me of that. Well, it's the
2: way that her face is always... She has all these masks, and she changes the mask. And it's like, you know, like those theatre drama masks. Yeah. The happy happy face and the the sad face. And yeah, like, she's always got... She's always changing these expressions, but she never... Her face never moves, you
3: know. Pure jump scare material. But that Uh, episode you mentioned with the paintings, this kind of sprung to mind when I was watching it, and I sent you guys a clip of it. Um, Army Men 2 is a game which I think it came out on the PlayStation 1. Uh, that has these really disturbing game over scenes. And the way the characters get turned into paintings in that episode, I don't know why, but it just kind of reminds me of the horrific deaths that occur in, it, in that same sort of animation style as the Iron Man 2 deaths. You can mm. watch them on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think also just the fact that she's presented in this animation style makes it even more kind of scary. Um, oh, so... she's creepy. Yeah, I She's yeah, a really creepy Greek.
2: character, right? but that that's what I love about her, is that she is scary, yeah. but she's also kind of lovable. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot going yeah. on in packs. I want to talk really about fun. Megabyte
0: because mm. Megabyte is probably just my favourite villain in all of fiction like he's got this really cool design and he's got the perfect yeah. evil villain voice from Tony Jay who we spoke about in our Fallout episodes. he just mm. revels in being evil and takes pleasure in it, in season one he's like he well, doesn't though, get yeah. his hands dirty he's more like a mob boss, He's basically just resorts to his incompetent underlings to do his world dirty work and I think by season two, he has he's had enough of that, and he takes Matt into his own hands more, and it's like he becomes a genuine threat, and he's and the, like the results are much more devastating.
3: Another thing about Megabyte is that uh, I was just mentioning Iron Man 2, Another thing that reboot and Megabyte as well reminds me of is I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Gex games on PS One. I know um, of them. Gex the Lizard. Yeah, so Megabyte kind of reminds me of Reds from those games. Like this giant robotic kind of lizard monster that like uh, he's kind of trying to hack people's TVs and stuff and cause mayhem in the um, alternate dimension and stuff like that. And also the animation of Rebic kind of reminds me of Pandemonium. Like the villains remind me of like characters from Pandemonium Oh yeah. So uh, they're both, Pandemonium and Gex are both made by the same creator. So I don't know why, but Megabyte... I love the how he's styled as this kind of mechanical beast. Um, he's very menacing, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's I love a, his that's style. The thing,
2: that, that his design—he's—he's he's kind of like the character we mentioned in Fallout, where he's like this big burly guy. But then it's really surprising that he has this, you know, kind of elegant Shakespearean voice, you know, uh, that yeah. you know the one the wonderful Tony Jay had. And you just, you just think, wow, you know, they really, they hit it off with, like, getting him. And it was the fact that he came back over, you know, they, I was always kind of wondering, that, oh, is there going to be a moment when, like, Tony Jay's too busy? Or, or like, you know, there's a moment, or, like, oh, I, I'm not going to do a kid's cartoon anymore sort of thing. But it's like, no, he, he always came back right up until season four.
0: It's so great. Like, oh, you know, every time. Yeah, he... He loved the show. In, like the show would always have like really long hiatuses between seasons, and he was always getting back touches and saying, "When do I get to all megabyte?" Right, again? again, he's saying stuff Aww, like, "Oh, you need, to do, you need to do more reboot because this is this. You really should do more. It's a cool. It's a fun little show." And he used yeah, to smoke yeah. he used to smoke cigarettes while recording his lines.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, that, exp-
0: that explains the the gravelly voice.
2: Yeah. Um, A funny, I just want to mention a fun, speaking of like people, like adult fans, I think the most amazing one, it has to be Gillian Anderson uh, of X-Files fame. um, To the point that she has a cameo in this as her character in X-Files, which is just fantastic. You know, she turns up and it's like, that's Gillian Anderson. Her voice is so recognisable um but yeah she was a big fan of the show because who was she she was dating or she was married to someone at the time who was involved with mainframe she was dating someone who
0: worked at mainframe yeah and then they invited her on a tour mainframe and she and she went around like signing all the posters of like because they were x posters dotted around and she would like sign them i think one of the animators asked for a photo with her and he and she just sat on his lap to take the picture (laughs) <laughs> and then while she was there, they asked her, uh, "Oh yeah, would you would you like to oh, wow. appear in the show?" And she was warding up for it. And I think there's even pictures out yeah, there of her yeah. wearing reboot hats.
2: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so oh, she was really she crazy. was a big fan, which is great. And and yeah, that episode where because like I said, a lot of the kind of stuff, uh, a lot of the episodes are kind of referencing various things. Like yeah, there's the there's a the Mad Max episode, uh, but there's also oh, yeah, the, there's, bad a, there's a yeah, but there's of course this X Files episode, which is really well done. It's a really nice, like it's a, it's done as
0: a kind of an X Files style, like you know, kind of murder yeah, mystery story.
2: It, it uh,
0: is structured like your typical X Files episode, where it's basically it Even got like kind of like a cold opening with a monster attack someone, and then we cut to the main characters, which is yeah, yeah. pretty much how an X Files episode is structured. Oh, it's-
2: yeah, it's fantastic. The, um, but yeah, I know, Rob, you'll be keen to discuss Bad Bob, the Mad Max um, episode, because again, oh, yes. there's an interesting thing going on there with the behind the scenes, I think,
0: isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, so basically, I, yeah. how that episode came about, Bad Bob, which is the Mad Max episode, it came about because the show's production designer, Brendan McCarthy, he randomly drew a picture of Meg White as a truck. Because he thought it was cool. And he gave it to the showrunners. Yeah. And they're like, what is this? He's like, it's Megabyte. It's a truck. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah but what's <laughs> this for? He's like, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. And then they made a whole yeah. episode around that. So basically, the whole episode is basically... it's What they did well with the references is... The references were well, just the backdrop to just the, the fantastic storytelling. So basically, it's, hmm. um, they were, it's a new kind of game. Because it's basically... Bob doesn't just simply got to stop the user. He's got to keep the game going because mainframe's energy trapped in the game and if the game ends too early before he's able to get the energy back, the whole city's dead, basically.
1: Megabyte has succeeded in stealing the core energy which is now trapped in the game with us. Oh, great. That means if the user wins, we're doomed. And if I win, we're doomed. Mainframe's energy will lead with the game. Precisely. You must keep the game going until we can get the energy back to the principal
0: office. So it's a different kind of episode. What Brendan McCarthy did was he took a tape of that episode and sent it to Mad Max creator George Miller. And then the two worked together on Mad Max Fury Road. So basically this one episode of Reboot led to Mad Max Fury Road. But it was also the episode which had one of the bigger fights with broadcast standards. As they took all the things they weren't allowed to do and put them in the episode. And then they got a note back saying, show completely rejected. But then they phoned up. (laughs) I think Ian phoned them up after and said, But we made this episode just for you. All the things you told us not to do, we put in an episode as an example of what not to do. Uh, Just very quickly, I just said a
3: megabyte vehicle in that episode looks a bit like the uh, Magog cartel train of World Exodus. Do you remember the. uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: I see that. Yeah, the kind of skull
3: train.
2: Well, speaking of Mad Max: Fury Road, I thought it looked like the war rig from from that film. It's like uncanny how similar it looks. Um, So the fact that the the writer was actually involved, or or the was was it the production designer? Production Um, designer. Yeah, that like honestly, that he probably took that megabyte truck and took it all the way twenty years later. Into Mad Max: Fury Road, it's fantastic. Like, it's just a great <laughs> realization that it all started off from this you know, this, this little CG cartoon way back when. Um, mm. But yeah, no, yeah, it's, but, it's great.
0: But Yeah, as we were saying earlier, season two is where the story started picking up, I think, and where it's that really started is where the show reaches peak, which is like, um, like I said, the start of season two is kind of like putting things in place, and then yeah. the last yeah. episodes, this big four-part story. Um, and it's like we get this kind of creature that comes from this place called the web and it's different from anything we've seen in the show before it's kind of got more organic and it's like an alien we don't know what it is so it freaks us out yeah. and then like, it's kind of in the background at the start it's like basically just ter- infecting Megabyte and Hexadecimal basically and then it ends with this massive war where Bob has to team up with Megabyte to get rid of this pulled from the web that's causing all this havoc and you yeah. think, oh, Bob's gonna save the day, and he doesn't. Megabyte, okay, he
2: right, shoots right. him into Here the we web, go. guys. Oh, okay. I'm gonna get, say, guys, this is the spoiler moment. Spoilers, everyone, because uh, I guess we want to discuss the main plot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I a, feel like the, we
3: spoiled a lot already, but
2: yeah. I feel like no. I feel like we've been very good up until. Up, and I think the big twist I is, is the that.
3: ending of series one, though.
2: That's fine. Like <laughs> season <laughs> okay. one is fine. That's fair game. Now I think I think the big spoiler point is yeah, when when Bob loses uh, at, at the end of season two and gets shot out into the web and, and is essentially exiled, uh, and Megabyte wins. You know, it's a great, an amazing twist. <laughs>
1: No time to talk now, Bob. Launch! One more step and I'll subdivide you.
0: Standing in his way is Enzo, who's literally been made a guardian like at the start of that mm. episode. He's not ready for this, and that's a big part of season no. three. Like, they don't bring Bob back in the first episode of season three, it's Enzo trying to be the guardian he needs to be. But like Megabyte is trying to turn everyone against him with a propaganda campaign. And like, the only reason Enzo is yeah, even alive yeah. is because Megabyte is allowing him to live. Mm. That's a great moment when,
2: yeah, like. Megabyte grabs, and this is again very clearly they've escaped the senses at this point because yeah Megabyte grabs Enzo who's like a, he looks you know he's a 10 year old kid literally chokes him like with his hand and he tells him yeah like you know the only reason you can you're surviving this encounter is because I've decided you will you know like there's very clearly I'm going to kill you if you become anything more annoying than what you are currently it's a great moment you know
1: I am a guardian. I'm not your messenger. You are what you have always been, a mere delivery boy. Do not provoke me further. It is by my will alone you survive this encounter. Be well
0: advised to remember that. I think the first episode of this season perfectly shows that they've escaped the censors because they homage evil dead. The
4: first...
0: (laughs) It is brilliant. It's like... And it's like... I get like a user who's basically Ash Williams from Evil Dead completes, completes yeah. the catchphrase Groovy and it's like there's even like visual throwbacks to Evil Dead but it's like, I think it's oh, perfect yeah. because it shows how unprepared Enzo is because oh, he's used to having Bob in the games with him but in the first game alone it's this really sinister mm. scary game and Frisky the dog gets shot yeah. it kind of shows no one's safe now yeah
2: yeah yeah. The well,
3: fourth that's... wall gets broken as well, like when the characters call the gate. Like, they say, "Like, what kind of sick creature plays games for pleasure?" And they literally look at the camera, like really judgmentally at the viewers. Yeah, well, 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 like, well, why, why, you... why?
2: Why would they play such <laughs> violent games? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I like about these the games is that it does give them a license to do all of their various references because they obviously love doing them Like at, at a later point in one of these episodes um, like where Enzo's leading, they have an entire James Bond
0: opening sequence uh, <laughs> Oh all... yes I'm, 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 I'm going to get to the games later, but yeah I think um, one thing that really sets the tone for this arc is Bob's not narrating the intro anymore, it's Megabytes, and that shows mm. he's the one who's effectively in control by format to corrupt and conquer. I feel the games in this, in Season 3, they're perfectly parallel what the characters are going through in that episode. Like um, When Megabyte puts his propaganda against Enzo into effect, the first game is a Looney Tunes game where Enzo turns into Elmer Fudd, who's the <laughs> ineffectual bu- bu- buffoon yeah. who can never get Bugs Bunny. And this reflects how he's been portrayed by the propaganda campaign and how he's, Enzo's feeling about himself. Then the next episode, he's feeling a bit more confident, and he's James Bond.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that's yeah. That, like I said, there's all these wonderful film references, and yeah, you're right. They did use the way that Enzo is kind of becoming more confident, and I think that that ultimately ties into the the big kind of dramatic one where they're in the fighter game, the fighting game, uh, like like kind of like kind of like Mortal Kombat.
0: Oh yeah, before we get to that, I want to talk about Firewall because it's my favourite episode of this show. It's like you you and said, like they eschew the traditional opening credit sequence and mean, instead get like a James Bond pre-type sequence and this one's actually a homage to a particular James Bond film as it's basically the opening sequence to The Spy Who Loved Me, but instead of James Bond it's Santa being chased by a Snowman. And then that's followed up by a full-on James <laughs> Bond song. And then this is where, um, where they're basically trying to cap- contain Megabyte in the firewall to stop him causing havoc. And this is where Megabyte, I think, at this point, he's had enough playing around. He's got Hexadecimal in a shot collar. He controls her powers. He's going to start putting things into effect. He's going to get rid of Enzo. And at the end, Megabyte is ready to kill Enzo. But And he's basically ready to just watch Enzo's final humiliation when the firewall fails and then kill him.
1: You're sick, Megabyte. I won't rest until I've stopped you. I believe that's an idle threat. It ends now.
0: Mm. But he then ends up trapped in the firewall for his own arrogance. And another thing I liked yeah. was um, a little side character gets developed, Cyrus. Who's, he's the one who's basically been forced hmm. to do all the propaganda against Enzo. He ends up in a game with Enzo. And he ends up working together with Enzo. And after that, he saves his life. Uh, so, he, And what? it's a shame they didn't do more with Cyrus. Because I believe he was going to be in the last arc. But I think because of time constraints, they cut that part of the story.
3: There's already a lot going on in the story. It's probably a bit difficult to do. Um, hmm. Yeah. One well, thing I wanted to say, th- actually, is while we we're talking about the story and stuff like that. See like the beginning of series three, the animo- the animation is just so much better. Like, it's just actually unbelievable how much like detail there oh, is. Yeah. Like, like there's clear details and shadows over the characters, the movements have so much more expression. The colour details oh, yes. is just beautiful to I agree. It's just oh, it, it's great. season
0: three holds up well today, I feel, for the yeah. most part. Um they the could whole whole actually they well. actually had they were actually capable of rendering in H D They didn't, obviously, because it took too long to render and no one was broadcasting HD in 1997. So, yeah, that idea Mm. was thrown out the window. Do we want to jump ahead into when the big
3: kind of plot development occurs with Enzo as well? Oh, when Enzo loses? Yes, at the moment where Enzo gets a slit across his eye and becomes the Scar reincarnate, it's just when the show goes all cards off and we're going to tell an epic story now, and that's the story of Matrix.
0: Um, Matrix, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically... Yeah, yeah. so after the first... So basically season three is structured in four... In, it's 16 episodes, broken up into four episode arcs that all combine to tell one big story. It's really well done and really well structured. Like, the first three arcs all tie into the last arc. Like, the last arc is the culmination of everything. But yeah, the, the second arc follows, like, Enzo and Andrea as they've grown up, travelling from different systems to buy the games to return them to Mainframe. I live in the games.
1: I search through
0: systems, peoples, and cities for this place. Mainframe. My home. Uh, Enzo is now like a bath frizzled PTSD-ridden badass who hates viruses and he will happily kill them without mercy <laughs> or hesitation. There's no guardian here. I'm Matrix, the renegade.
1: Please, renegade, mercy. Mercy to a virus,
3: never. Mm. Yeah, it takes on like a Clint Eastwood-esque kind of multiversal journey where Matrix and Drea just kind of traverse and save oh, yeah. broken yeah. worlds. Almost, you know, they're helping the like, you know, like yeah. how Clint Eastwood just travels to place to place helping the little girl. Oh, Mad Max as well, actually. Yeah. It kind of reminds me yeah. of that kind and of western. I think the,
0: and that first episode, when we meet Matrix, they did something really clever. They introduced this character called Backup, who's like a little kid, who's similar to how Enzo was as a child. Mm. It, sh- it shows the extreme contrast and juxtaposition between young Enzo and Matrix. Because young mm. Enzo, yes. Backup, idolises Matrix in the way Enzo idolised Bob.
4: Hey, Matrix? Where are you going?
1: This is your family now. I'm going to find mine. This game might be my only chance to get home. Hey, backup! Catch.
4: Half uh, the new merit. Thanks! Game over. Did that kid remind you of anybody?
2: Not particularly.
4: Didn't think so.
2: Well, that, yeah. that's what I—that's what I like—is that there's an element of never meet your heroes, uh, because obviously one of the big things is that Enzo is desperate to find Bob, who's been lost in the web all this time, and it is yeah, this this feeling of oh wait, I'm actually more capable than Bob ever was, <laughs> you know, like there's this feeling of like. Uh, Yeah, like, a genuine frustration. Like, when Enzo does finally find Bob after all this time, there's this genuine frustration from him when he realizes, actually, you're not the hero that I thought you were when I was ten years old, you know? Like, and it's like, yeah, because you saw him as this awesome hero who always saved the day. But it's like, no, Bob was just this kind of idiot goofball who just kind of happened to... Like, like, the amount of times in the early Mm. seasons where, like, Bob... You know, he he manages to save the day from pure luck. Like that's and that's what's great about Enzo's kind of character arc is this realization that actually, you know, I I, I shouldn't just rely on Bob. I you know there is this this feeling of like I, I'm actually mm. um, I'm my own guy. I'm not I'm not in Bob's shadow. You know, and I think that's a really yeah. amazing. It's an amazing story for you know for like a mm. see like what started as very simple. Saturday morning kids cartoon it's it's absolutely yeah brilliant.
0: and they could do something really clever with that as well because they have a whole that deconstructs Enzo's characters. so basically Matrix and Andrea end up in a game that is basically mainframe as it was in season one with Bob and Dot and they try rebooting to see what happens and they end up as Megabyte and Hexadecimal and this is how we mm. see Matrix sees his younger self as weak and ineffective because obviously um, he lost the game he couldn't beat Megabyte so he feels he's become this way, the way he is now, in the, to survive in the games. So he's ready to take on Megabyte when he returns home. But there's that part of him that's afraid he's become just as bad as Megabyte.
1: But how? You're me. But you hate me. You must. Look at what you've become. You're wrong. I had to become bigger, tougher. I had to be ready for Megabyte to survive the games! Did you like the games more than Mainframe? More than your family? No! No, I didn't! I was trapped in the games. Games, games, games. It was only a game. You killed my family! My family! You've forgotten your family! You let yourself become a prisoner of the games. What would Bob think of you now?
0: And that when he was reunited with his friends and family, they won't like what he's become. Like Because because he shows up and says, Oh, I'm Enzo. And Dot's like, No, you're not Enzo. Enzo would never be like this. Mm. And it's also a great episode because it's a homage to The Prisoner, which is a 1967 series from Britain. Probably the most obscure reference the show ever did.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, they, they even have the opening sequence of him in the race car. It's like literally the... You know the most blatant reference, and at the end he gets uh, eaten by was it Rover the Rover the Ball or Rover the Rover the. Yeah, the the weird golf ball monster thing that would eat people, yeah. <laughs> the Prisoner is a very weird show. We should review that at some point. I would
3: like... To, yeah. I actually have been meaning to watch
0: that show because it, it, The Simpsons parodied it, it at
2: one they point. They did, that, yes. Yeah, 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 I
0: have yeah. it on DVD. Yeah. I've watched a fair few episodes and it's really weird. I remember <laughs> when I first watched... first first episode when I was 11 and I was like, oh, that's what that reboot episode was doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
2: it's it's some it's of the '60s at its best. Uh, <laughs> weird psychedelic stuff. No, I, yeah, like I think. You have this amazing story with with Matrix as opposed to Enzo, uh, like you know, and, and and it, but it it becomes this big epic adventure, uh, where everything before had been oh like you know we're doing the same old you know we're always on mainframe we're always in this nice little city. Here it's this big adventure where they're they're being chased after by police and and the bad guys and oh yeah and was uh, and, oh, and, and, it and the episode and, the and they run into Wait, the pirate ship? You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's where the guardians come back in. And, like, mm. they come back and it turns out they're now evil. And they've been yeah, infected by yeah. this virus which is planting the seeds for a story that comes back later on in the, the next season. Mm. But it's a way to push the story into motion because the next part of the story is Matrix and Andrea. Then end up going into the web to find Bob because that's their only way back into mainframe. Yeah. And that episode's really cool, the episode that introduces that, because they've got our... Uh, kind of got a western vibe to it. They're in a really cool system. They've got a whole western shootout at the end, which is Andrea's finest moment. And like, if you want to watch mm. one on out of context moment from the show, I'd say look up the Andrea Guardian Showdown. It's so cool. What took you so long?
2: I came as fast as I could.
4: And my men?
2: Don't ask. He was wondering if your drone has a personality chip.
4: Uh,
1: Don't tell me. I'm under arrest.
2: You wish. I think the the big controversy, I guess, is that the story essentially ends with Season 3 really, like the actual plot uh, <laughs> of, you know, saving Bob, Enzo, and An- Andrea. Not in the UK. Okay. Well, why not in the yeah. UK?
0: Because we stopped after the episode Return of the Crimson Binum, which is the episode that they enter the web to rescue Bob. So rather than... Oh, they, wow. like, so for some reason, CITV, they didn't buy the whole of season three. They only bought, like, the first ten episodes or so, which is weird. Funnily enough, we got the first six episodes before Canada did, so we the first six episodes of season three actually premiered in the UK, and then it vanished for like oh, six man. months, and then came back with re- repeats, and I think we're the only country that got complaints from the, about the first episodes, because the Evil Dead episode oh, got like yeah. 19 the complaints, complaints from one. parents. Yeah, because of like... Oh, yeah. um, I think this is post. This, I think we just entered Tony Bread Britain, so we were past like, the Thatcher years and John Major years. But I think we're still feeling the artifacts of the whole Mary Whitehouse brigade. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. They were still yeah, in those
2: days.
0: Although apparently like, the violence was nothing to do with why the show stopped. So they stopped it uh, nine episodes in because of low ratings. And because I think some Rebit fans wrote letters asking them to get the rest of the series, and they said um no we'll buy the rest of the ratings improve but the because the ratings have dropped we're cautious about buying more episodes
2: right right yeah no it's a shame that's that's crazy to me that you you wouldn't just buy the whole season as one big like thing just so you can at least finish the story (laughs) like it's amazing to me that you like this was this was before like internet was like accessible to everyone so like that's really harsh for like people to just not like the the story's just over now, kids. I'm sorry, it's done now. And you go, oh, okay. So mm. we we get to the Crimson Binome. Yep. They're about to get back home. Nope. bye. That's
0: <laughs> oh, mean. <laughs> That's really yeah. Mean, but yeah. um, yeah, like you were saying, yeah, season. A lot of people consider season three to be like the ending. I kind yeah. of in that camp, but also I love the Damon stuff. What they do with that when we get we'll go into season I, four. But I, I, talk really, about,
2: like, I really, I really like. But season... I really like season four but it is a bit like the second half of season two of Twin Peaks where
0: it's like the story's over now but we're still going <laughs> I think I <laughs> like the oh, first I'll go on, season... I'll go on season four later but I want to talk about the end of season three so yeah. basically they return to mainframe and it's in ruin Megabyte's in control in their absence and what's cool is we when we get back we see flashbacks of what happened while Matrix and Andrea were away so they return with Bob and they explore the city and they see like oh mega megabyte has to escape the firewall oh like um, megabyte then took over the principal office and he's got thong's head in the jar and then matrix <laughs> yeah. basically has this big final battle with megabyte which is really awesome it's like because it's been we've been building up to that since the moment where megabyte choked enzo uh, and now matrix yeah. is finally getting his yeah, come yeah. up so, so like, it's like when
2: the score to settle yeah
0: yeah because when Megabyte first sees Matrix, he underestimates him, he sees, oh, it's that boy, he's back, and he's like taunting him, and he's like, oh, throw your gun away, fight me like a real spider, and he's kind of like, right up until Enzo punches him, he's all like, he's really smug, then Enzo punches him, leaves a dent in his chest, and then Megabyte looks down, he's like, oh, what well, have I got myself into? And then we have this yeah. big fight, and it's really awesome, and Matrix chooses to spare Megabyte, because all through this, like, when we introduce the Matrix, he kills the virus, he's, oh, mercy to a virus never but here he um decides to yeah. just let megabyte live the humiliation of his defeats
1: you can't do this it goes against everything you stand for you took away my life destroyed my home caused nothing but pain and suffering to everyone i held dear Surprised? Don't be. You're not worth it. Mainframe will always endure. Remember this defeat, this humiliation. Remember you can never win.
0: When Megabyte leaves, the system just completely crashes and then all the users from previous episodes come back, which I think was perfect because it allowed Matrix to beat up his demons because the user that bested him Back in like the episode "Game Over," was a, took the form of a demon, which is a bit of a weird choice. But then when you get to this episode, it makes sense because um, it's like it's like a physical manifestation of Matrix's demons, and he's putting them to rest, basically.
3: Mm. Mm. One thing I wanted to mention is that there is a very emotional. It, there's an emotional moment between uh, Matrix and Dot, um, so they obviously you know Dot finally sees like her little brother grow up. Into who he is now and they have not seen each other for i want to say many years at this point um,
0: um and for, for matrix it's been many i'll say for matrix it's been many years for dots it hasn't been that long because basically time in the games is accelerated yeah. so but so matrix yeah. has aged quicker than relative to time as everyone else
3: yeah but also it's really awkward because bobs obviously with well glitch bobs with them and uh, Dot and Bobbery, nice. It's like the most awkward thing ever because mouths just stomps Bob and dots. Just, uh... <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bob's well, a bit that's... of a player.
2: Well, they, they always they always have a bit of a will, they won't they, with with Bob and Dot and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and it, that's it, why they... it's never really resolved.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's why they kiss at the end of season three because they thought after season three we're done. They, said, I think Gavin yeah. Blair himself said we would never let Bob and Dot kiss if we knew we were getting a season four. Oh
2: right right yeah and i think that's the thing but then i think it, it ends so gr- brilliantly you have the little recap with the modern major general song oh yes. uh you know like um, the, even little enzo the, comes the, back the story ended you know i dreamed of this each lonely night of doing in
1: that virus trash but just as i had won the fight he engineered a system crash
2: Yeah, yeah. There's all this like goofy stuff going on, and I'm like, this is great. Let's just, you know, I like season four. I think it's really cool what they do. But like, obviously, the big controversy, I'm going to say this, of season four is that it ends on a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Okay. Season three did expl- not end on a cliffhanger. I'm going to explain so all this. That's the difference.
0: Okay, so what? How season four came about was season three aired in Canada in 1997. It didn't get picked up in the U.S. until 1999, when Cartoon Network aired it on Toonami, and I think it aired, I think just before Dragon Ball Z, which was like one of the biggest shows at the time, because I think Pokemon had just taken off, and like anime was um, starting to really kick off in like Western cultures. So Dragon Ball Z was one of the, the flagship shows there. Dragon, Dragon, Dragon come. That was probably writing Reboot's favour because Cartoon Network then got in touch with Mainframe saying they wanted more reboots and like what they were going to do was um they were going to give the show like a really big high profile daily time slot in prime time so seasons one to three would be repeated six days a week and Friday night prime time they would premiere a brand new episode of season four and like they'd back this up with a massive tour line because of course, this is a big deal, so people like Toys R Us and Walmart are interested. What they were going to do was they are going to have 13 extra-length episodes. 12 of these would be broken up into three, four-episode arcs. or Because in Canada, they wanted TV movies. And then the 13th was going to be a full-on musical episode. What they were going to do was, like, because they, were going to, they wanted to write the episodes as long as they could be, and then they'd be cut down to the standard episode length for TV... Then all the extra scenes would be on the DVD. But then what happened yeah. was Warner Brothers got involved, who were Cartoon Network's parent company. They weren't happy that Cartoon Network were planning to give so much airtime to a show that they didn't actually own. So then this caused a big domino effect. So the primetime like, repeating of early episodes was cancelled. I think they just repeated the show, but only once. Like Friday Night Primetime season 4 premiere was gone. Toy toy numbers cut that massive because toy retailers lost interest. The 13th extra length of the episodes got cut back to eight standard length episodes, so they had to cram in for those first two stories as much of the story as they could. And then one of the things that ended up getting cut was the ending to the second story because originally they were going to resolve that cliffhanger but leave things open for the next story. Was between a rock and a hard place is basically we either just tell the story naturally and end it with a cliffhanger and there's a chance we get to do season five because we never thought we'd even get to do season four to begin with. Or we just cram everything in and make the episode an unsatisfying mess. And they chose the former because they thought, well, it's better... It'd be better to make a good episode of a cliffhanger than just cram everything in and make a bad episode.
2: I'm actually happy with how it ended it's fun (laughs) (laughs) because yeah because it's it's controversial people will be whining about it until the end of time it's great (laughs) i don't know
3: i do uh, uh, it's people seem kind of torn between um whether or not it should continue or if it should have ended at series d personally i think it should have ended four episodes into uh, series four i think oh
2: yeah uh, yeah with with Damon's story yeah. yeah
3: like even though the ending of series 3 was really good and obviously as you mentioned there's all these cameos all these characters and they're all kind of doing a little sing song and it's all lovely and happy dappy there is there are still plot threads that are dangling that hadn't been addressed whereas by the midpoint of series 4 at this point the Damon storyline is addressed uh, hector Dem- decimal has been defeated um
0: Oh, she's not and been she sacrificed herself so, to save. Bob yeah, yeah. And but it what, what I mean
3: is, is, what not defeated? Maybe that's not the right way What I mean is, she's been addressed as a character. She's finished now. She's gone, and Megabyte is gone. Um, everyone is kind of happy. There's it's a resolution that kind of just addresses everything, and I'm I was really satisfied by that. And I thought that's not many shows do an ending which kind of addresses every plot friend. There's a lot of plots and like di- different characters and stuff going on in reboot. And they do address them perfectly by the midpoint of Series 4. And then of course, a second Bob just shows up magically like, Hey guys! And then it just suddenly just like, oh great, now there's a whole other story that we need to sort out that's probably going to take another fight, but you know.
0: Yeah, that second story is a bit messier because I think that was probably one that suffered more from a lot of the cuts that had to be made to the story. Because I think, yeah, yeah Dot, get what they were going for with Dot, but she comes off as kind of shallow, it's like, Oh, this Bob looks like Bob, but this one doesn't look <laughs> like Bob.
3: Yeah, I, I thought that as well. I thought, what? That's like that. What?
0: <laughs> 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 that's not how it works. Clearly, yeah. really has PTSD because mm. um, I think it's a lot based around like Bob. For the Bob they found in the web initially, he basically reminds her of like everything that's happened. I all the horrible stuff. Whereas the original. Of quote-unquote original Bob, because it's not really original Bob. It's actually Megabyte. Reminds her of like the happy times, which I kind of get, but yeah. it does kind of, it Comes across as a bit shallow, but if they delved into that bit more, I, I I get what they're going for, but wish it had the time to be fleshed out as it should be.
3: For sure. One of the things I really liked about series 4, especially the early part, is that it introduces. It basically explains what the web actually is, and it's almost like an artificial multiverse. Um, this whole idea that there's other systems out there. It's kind of like...
4: Hmm. Uh,
3: like almost a sort of like fictional version of them trying to explain away string theory or something like that. They're just saying like, oh my god, there's other universes out yeah. there and stuff like that. And I just thought, okay, for, a, for a, first of all, for a kid's show, at this point, and also for just a general bit of sci-fi fiction at this point as well, I thought that was way ahead of its time and quite a high concept. Um, just this idea of a artificial, uh, minuscule multiverse that's in the fall of the internet. I thought that was really neat and clever.
1: Mm. Um, now, I, I know I have my critics, that some sprites say there are no other systems, but just stop a cycle and process that statement. Can you really believe we are alone? That Mainframe is the only system in cyberspace? I think not.
0: I now want to talk about Damon for a little bit. Damon's a lot different to the other viruses we've seen in the show. She seems to believe what she's doing is for the greater good, and she's basically a religious zealot. And like her infection is basically an al- analogy for organised religion, and she wants to infect everyone and bring unity to the nets. And like, but her noble intentions strip others of their free will. I
1: am Damon. I am the world. My function to bring unity to the net. I must hear the
0: word. But well, she does seem to care for those she infects, and she's kind to them. And she's like interested in the concept of romantic love, which is something she's not been programmed for. And the only time she ever acts with disdain towards anyone is when she sees that Hexadecimal has become a sprite, and she calls her an abomination, to tosses her aside.
1: Hello, you must be Dot. Matrix has told me all about you. Then you know what I think of viruses. Fung, the wise one. It is an honor to finally meet you. And there is my messenger with... Hexadecimal, you have turned into an abomination. You are a disgrace to your kind.
2: She's not your kind anymore. I'm just really happy that Hexadecimal messes her up. It's great
0: oh good. yeah that was so satisfying and that fight was really cool because they storyboarded it with um, comic book patterns they took patterns from comic books of like Thor punching people going wham and they used that to kind of plan how they were going to do the fight I think one mm-hmm. plot line I think that I wish got more time because I think that was going to be a big part of the third story that they never made was the ethics of Bob's views on viruses because like um, it's basically the reverse of what viruses do He Bob wants to basically take a virus and change it into a sprite so it's basically removing some of their free will like Hexadecimal changed into a sprite but that was of her own free will and even then she became a virus again like Hmm. um, I could be wrong but my theory is the end of My Two Bobs would have ended with Megabyte becoming a sprite and then the third story would have been the repercussions of that decision and I've kind of had ideas of how that might have played out
2: well, that, that's what Bob always talked about. Well, no, so, sorry. When he said to Megabyte, you know, I can i can change you and, you know, you don't have to be this destructive force anymore. And, but then Megabyte replies, oh, a, a fate worse than death. You know, like, that, that's what I like about Megabyte is that he at no point does he ever want to be anything other than this evil monster that he is. Um, so I think that... Yeah, no, I think whereas Hexadecimal would be more open to the idea of not being a virus anymore. I don't know, I think Megabyte would always fight to the end, which is very, you know, mm. it's one of the admirable things about him as a character.
1: So what now? Deletion? No, just a scan. I don't believe in deletion. You can't go against your code. And neither can you. That's the problem. It's not your fault. You're programmed to be this way. We've just got to work out a way to reprogram you. So, I won't be a virus? That's the plan. Ah, so, a fate worse than deletion. And they call me a monster.
0: I could go on all day, but I think let's move on to kind of the video game and the IMAX films. Because those, those are some interesting things, I think. Yeah, go on ahead. So, yep, yeah, there, there was a reboot game for the PS1. And what was cool about it was they actually got. C- Um, original cutscenes animated by mainframe, like the game's not canon but I think it's got some cool ideas like Hack and Slash originally being one giant robot called Clash and like, and there was kind of a performance system where basically you play through the levels and depending on your performance of the level, that depended what cutscene you got and to get the true ending you've got to be like perfect in all the levels but like, the problem was the gameplay's not the best, like, I kind of enjoyed the game, just because it's reboot but it's not a great game. It's impossible to beat without using cheat codes.
4: Yeah,
3: I like the cutscenes in the game. Uh, they're a lot of fun. Uh, very, I do feel like Mainframe got more like the the company Mainframe, sorry, they got a bit more creative freedom over what they could do with the animation. Um, and that's definitely shown in like the dark endings of the game and the game over sequences. A lot of which are pretty, pretty sinister. If I say so myself. Yes. Um, like, there's a particular one where Enzo gets his... I can't remember what they use. it. Basically, his brain gets cut out, um, and it's a complete oh, kind yeah. of... Oh, his frontal chip. That's it. And it's a whole nod to the Planet of the Apes, uh, the original Planet of the Apes movie, which is a great movie. My favourite sci-fi movies, but I thought that was pretty neat.
1: You took out his frontal chip, you barbarian! SILENT GREEN IS ENZO!
3: <laughs> Pretty creepy to be honest. Uh, mm. But its I think it's widely accepted that the game is non-canon if I'm not mistaken because of the reverse command
0: um, thing in the bad ending of the game. Gavin and like the, the actual creator of the show had nothing to do with the game, it's basically yeah. a whole separate team works with EA on the game. Yeah, but it just wouldn't make sense for the game to
3: be canon because in one of the bad endings where Enzo dies I think, and Doc's like, oh no, my little brother's dead and stuff like that. F- Fong just like appears Fong out goes back
0: in time. Yeah, he's just like, oh,
3: there's a way we can save him. With a reverse command and then you can go back in time and undo this whole thing and I'm just like, Oh my god. If that if it, that it, was it, canon, that could just literally reverse every bad thing that happens yeah, in the entirety but, of reboot. Yeah,
2: it's, but it's like, a nice it's a nice nod to a, a video game save
0: system is the idea. It
3: is, but like I feel like it should be canon to only the video game yeah. timeline, if that makes sense.
0: There are also two IMAX ride films. The first is the one that's uh, available online, although it's, in a, it's kind of with this half someone videoing the ride, half clips from like a promo video, and mm-hmm. um, the, it features Megabyte trying to capture a search engine called Maxine, who actually made a cameo in season 3, like halfway through. And it's a really fun yeah. kind of little adventure. Then the second one, which is sadly, it's mostly lost media, aside from some clips that have made their way onto the internet. Where you're going through Hexadecimal's mind with Mike the TV? For one, I've seen a couple of those uh, clips
3: from that ride, and it looks terrifying. Um, I, I don't, I don't think I would ever want to
0: yeah. go on a ride like that ever. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, this didn't actually make its production. They actually planned a spin-off for preschoolers about the Binomes, which probably did wouldn't have the same writing quality as like later, even because it's for a much younger audience. But it would have been cute if they made it. I think mean, um, wh-
3: they're like little Lego characters essentially.
0: Oh, do so. we briefly want to address before we go the elephant in the room? What's the elephant in the room? <laughs> <laughs> that showed that's apparently a sequel to reboot, but is rebooting oh. name only. Oh right, okay. Uh, no. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah no. that basically says all we need to We're say. Not- Thank you, everyone. I, uh, We're moving on. Uh, yes, this has been a great talk. Uh, my favourite character is Hexadecimal. I would marry her, yes. Uh, uh, Rob, who's your okay, favourite so, character?
0: Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've kind of said, I've, for a bit different reasons, I've got three favourite characters. Bob, I just love Bob because he's just so goofy and he's just so different from a lot of the stoic male main characters at the time. Dot, because she's like a great counterpoint to. Bob as a kind of like a great female character like she encompasses everything a great female character should be and also Enzo for being like the most developed character in the show also i say my favourite episode is Firewall it's just amazing James? Old Man Pearson is my favourite character uh, nice. we,
3: don't, we haven't talked about him too much but is this because he
0: called Megabyte a git?
3: yes <laughs> <laughs> but amazing. also like but, like, okay, yes, that is largely why I like him, because he calls Megabyte a nosy git. I
1: tell you no, like I told you before, I've got nothing, you nosy git. What are you daft? Hmm, charming
3: as always. Um, but also, there's that plot twist involving Talon, and, you know, what appears to be a subtle oh, story. The Codemasters. Of, yeah, oh, Codemasters! Yeah. I, 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 I am-
0: love the. That is such a cool idea, because it's basically this of like bounty hunters but they mm. never come up again. I know like, <laughs> I think that's episode two of series two it's called Play code, High Code. High Code yeah that's, that's a really all... fun West, western themed episode yeah.
3: I'll go ahead and say that's also my favorite episode and it's like a, a subtle story of redemption and in-depth character development by old man Pearson despite being this goofball who's everyone a git turns out to have this like kind of dark backstory where he's like a bounty hunter essentially but he just couldn't take the killing, and he decided to live in the mainframe and redeem himself. And, you know, there's this sort of idea of honour that he has and stuff. Um, despite his like bad history, he becomes a good guy in the end. Um, I like him. I think there's, like, for a little um, sprite, he's got a lot going on for him. He's got a lot of assets to his character, so, yeah.
2: Mm. And I yes. like yeah. the pain- I like the Painted World one. And painted his windows. Yeah. yeah, that one. <laughs> well, your favourite character as well? Hex- I said it was hexadecimal.
3: Oh
0: yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so Ewan, before we go, do you want to, t- to mention what we're talking about next time? Next time, uh,
2: we are discussing the utterly bizarre combination of Final Fantasy and Walt Disney. Uh, the video game series Kingdom Hearts uh, Which is a favourite little video game of mine way back when uh, Where you collect keys to close doors And, and you we're, walk away. sorry And, we're, go- and we're, we're gonna do the first game We're not gonna touch any of the later ones For convolution reasons uh, no, so, you thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> We're getting out of here. Yeah. Um, yeah. See you soon.
0: Yeah. Until next time, the Blue Cast to you farewell. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. I come from the net. I search through systems,
1: peoples, and cities for this place: Mainframe, my home. My format: Guardian. To mend and defend.
0: Thank you for listening to Bloobcast, we've been Rob, James and Ewan, you can find all of our episodes on Bloobcast.com, we're also available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple
3: Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel where we produce shorter episodes called Bloobnets, where we discuss the latest news in popular culture. You can find us on social media with at Bloobcastpod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Please like, follow, and subscribe, so you can get the latest updates on new episodes.
2: We also have an email address, which is bloopcast.outlook.com, so if you have any feedback or want to suggest things for us to review on our future episodes, please feel free to drop us an email and you'll get a shout-out on the next episode. Please also rate and review us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. More engagement helps us a lot. And finally, please share the podcast amongst your friends and family. Help spread the word so that the Bloopcast Empire can become strong and mighty.